Good morning. The Old Testament Bible reading for today is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 21 through 30. You'll find it in your pew Bibles at page 967. But before we hear the reading of God's Word, I ask you to bow with me and join me in a prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together and allowing us to study your word. And we remember those who have sacrificed for us so that we may do so and are comforted by the knowledge that they are with you. As we hear your word, give us the eyes to hear and the eyes to see all that you want us to hear and to see. More importantly, open our hearts so that we will be transformed by the reading of your word. In your son's precious name, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Joel chapter 2, 21 through 30. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing of the threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The soldier above all other men is required to practice the greatest act of religious training, sacrifice in battle 
And in the face of danger and death, he discloses those divine attributes which his maker gave when he created man in his own image. No physical courage and no brute instinct can take the place of the divine help which alone can sustain him. However hard the incidents of war may be, the soldier who is called upon to offer and to give his life for his country is the noblest development of mankind. The year was 1962, May 12th. The location, West Point Academy. The graduation of West Point cadets. General Douglas MacArthur, five-star general, director of the Southwest Pacific during World War II, occupation emperor over Japan after the war, the general during the Korean War. This was his farewell speech. The last time he would speak publicly. When it's your last speech, when it's your farewell speech, what you say counts. It matters. There's no small talk. There's no time for criticisms or complaints or small stuff, minutia. Consider other great farewell speeches. Yankee ball player Lou Gehrig, speaking July 4th, 1939, after being diagnosed with a disease that would later be called Gehrig's disease in front of his fans. You may have read over the past several weeks about the bad breaks I got. But you know what? Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on earth. Abraham Lincoln, before he left his home state to go serve our country through the most tumultuous times we've known, February 11, 1861, on the back of a train, he looked over, he said to his crowd, his family, his countrymen, to God's care I commend you, as I hope in your prayers you will commend me. I bid you an affectionate farewell. Farewell speeches. Right now across Amarillo, the next couple months, crying moms will be saying this and crying, maybe laughing dads, I don't know, will be saying this last farewell speeches to their sons or daughters as they drop them off at college or send them away. Not small talk, life-saving stuff, things that mean the most to them. Dear parents, patients, grandparents, as they lay dying on their deathbed, looking in the eyes of their family like mom did and said her farewell speech, I love you, son. I love Jesus. I'll be okay. But the most famous and the most important farewell speech that is still directed at us was given by our Lord and Savior. A speech that's not just inspiring, it's instructional. It's our orders. It's our marching orders. It's what we were called to do and what they were called to do on that day, on that mountain, when Jesus was seen for the last time physically until we see him again. 
let's look at the most famous, most important farewell speech in history. The book of Acts, the first chapter, verses 6 through 14, page 1156 in your Bible. Listen to what Jesus instructs his early pubescent nascent church, which are still our instructions, our orders. Here's what Dr. Luke says. Acts 8.1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) He says, no, that's not what we're talking about. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's the point. Here's the instructions. Here's your marching orders. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And when he said that short, incredible, powerful, concise farewell speech, so when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, And a cloud, the word there, Shekinah glory, a cloud, took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and asked them a very funny question. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who is taking up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then what do we do? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went back to that famous upper room where they were staying. And here's the list. Here's here's still hanging in there. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. And with one accord, what a word, with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. So as we start a new series, we're excited this summer. We've gone through all the way through Lent looking at the, 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 the trial and everything leading up to the death of uh, crucifixion of Jesus, his resurrection, the ascension. And now what? What, what now? What's this in between time? And the disciples, the apostles are asking the same thing. What do we do now? What's, what, what's next? Where do we go? We're calling this uh, Winds of Change as we look at the wonderful book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, what they did after Jesus left. It's called Led by the Holy Spirit. And here they are. For two or three weeks, Jesus has been appearing. He's appeared to over 500 people. He appears to Mary. He appears to Peter. And they have a little private restoration time. Uh, 500 people have seen him, eat with him. And here they are. It's like a graduation ceremony. And there they stand. And Jesus has given this farewell speech. And they're kind of missing the point. So what now? Okay, we won. It's your back. Okay, we get it. What are we going to do now? Are you, are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to come in and just wipe out the Romans? Can we move into the castle? It's kind of like a, you know, a senior high kid's son, uh, brother or sister when he's going, can we move into his room now? You know, they're ready to go. And Jesus is like, no. It doesn't even, he goes, that is not what's happening. I'm leaving. I am being lifted up. I am going so that I can send the Holy Spirit. I will be gone physically. This is it for a while. Don't be focused on the future. And even after he's lifted up, they're kind of like, 
Is he going to go up and come back down? Is there going to be fireworks? What are we doing? And the two angels, just the same as the two angels in the, in the tomb that said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Angels are always the ones that have to kind of remind us of the eternal things going on. They're like, why, why are you staring up there? Why are you waiting for some future event? He told you he's coming back here. Look down here. Here's where we are. This is reality. Here's what we're going to do today. Here's your marching orders. And Jesus gives four things for that small, minuscule start of the church of Jesus Christ that still affects us today. And the same four instructions to us. Let's look at those. What do we do in this in-between time? What are our marching orders? It says we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing he says. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then he says you need to discover your God-given purpose and place. And you need to prepare for this calling with prayer. And lastly, you need to step into your calling, take your marching orders, go to war with the people I give you. Receive the power. Understand your purpose and your place. Prepare with prayer. Grab God's people and get moving. J.B. Phillips says that this time in history is like the time in World War II, where you had D-Day, where the largest group of military equipment and men and women were ever collected in the history of war and landed on the shores of Normandy Beach. You've seen the raising Private Ryan. You've seen, you've seen the, real, the reality of it. You know the true history of all those beaches in Normandy. That was D-Day. And it was the crushing blow. It was the heel to the head of Hitler and the Nazi regime. But it wasn't over. It was just the start of the end for the Third Reich. But that wasn't victory. That wasn't the day that was over. That June 6, 1944 was just the start of the death of the, Roman, of the German Empire, which lasted another, the war lasted another almost year. And VE Day, Victory Day, was May 5th. Uh, on May 8th, 1945. From June 6th, 1944 to May 8th, 1945. More soldiers were killed. More destructive time than any other time in history as they pushed off the beaches and went to Berlin. It was that in-between time. My friend Pat Clark just told us in the gap that her husband, Lawton Clark, was there at the Battle of Bulge at that most amazing time. The time in between. And J.B. Phillips says that's the time that we live in. That's the time that we and believers live in right now. That the death blow has been dealt Satan. That on the cross, at the resurrection, that Satan has been defeated. The enemy has been crushed, as Paul said. Death has no sting. Sin has no power. The crushing blow. We've had our D-Day. But we're still here. And just like the disciples were like, what do we do now? Because V-Day, Victory Day, will not come until Jesus sets foot right there at that very place. And like the disciples, the question is, what do we do now? What do we do in this in-between time? Do we just have holy huddles and just go to church and just praise the Lord and kumbaya and just use up all of God's blessings? Absolutely not. That's a dead church, a selfish way to follow Jesus. We do the same four things. Let's look at those four orders our marching orders from Jesus himself and see where we are as a church, where you are individually. The first thing he says, I'm leaving, but you're going to receive the power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. 
And boy, does he come, as we look later, as this group of a thousand people are on the, t- the, t- the steps outside of Solomon's temple, and they're all meeting they're from all over the world. It looks like a UN meeting, or a, a, it's, just, it's just a global party. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus can only come as one man, not only, but as a man in a body. He goes so the Holy Spirit can come and be in each person. And tongues of flame appear above every believer. And they begin hearing in languages they don't know. They begin speaking in languages they don't know. And thousands and thousands of people are saved. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says the same thing for you and I. He says that, what, that is what has to happen first before you understand. He says this in Ephesians. Listen to this and see if you've done this. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, this inheritance, to the praise of his glory. Paul says, here's what has to happen if you really get what it means to follow Jesus. You hear the good news. You believe it in your hearts. You ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes in you. It's not a second baptism. It doesn't happen later. That's bad theology. It happens the moment you call Jesus your Lord and Savior. You and I are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have it? Not do you have it. Do you have him? Is he in your heart? Here's an amazing thing. Lisa and I have on our dining room table this time chart. It's really amazing. It's a giant circle. It takes up our whole dining room table. It's where I, do stu- where I study. And it shows you the start of humanity, the Garden of Eden, and it goes all the way to 2016. And it shows you everything that happened in the Bible, everything that's happened in history, Chinese, Roman, European, Asian, and it tracks the history of the world, of humanity. And guess what? In three-fourths of that time slice, three-fourths of that, only people who had the Holy Spirit... Until Jesus Christ rose from the dead and left his spirit. The only people, for three-fourths of human history, the only people that had the Holy Spirit were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. Not the common people. You could not go to God without the priest interceding for you. You could not approach the Holy of Holies. You could not confess. You could not know the future and be told what to do without a prophet telling you. You could not be led without a king. And guess what Jesus did for us? Now, because of the Holy Spirit, we're all prophets. Because we can read the Word of God and discern the Holy Spirit. We're all priests. Because we can go directly to Jesus Christ and he will take us to the Holy of Holies. We can go because Christ has made us presentable. And we can talk to the King. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the power. There's no ecclesiastical difference from here. You don't have to have me or a priest or a pastor to go straight to Jesus. You're all priests. You're all princesses and princes of the high king. We just get to be part of that. We just happen to get paid to do what you're already called to do. We're all in the priesthood of believers. Like Murray says, we get paid to be good and you're good for nothing. <laughs> it's Murray's, Murray's joke, right? Your dad's joke. He means that in a good way. We're all priesthood. Do you have that power? If you don't, everything you do is a waste of time. Every dollar you make, every single thing you do is wasted. It will not stand eternity. What are you doing? What are we doing? Christ says you can't do anything without me, and with me you can do anything. Some of you have read and heard, you see there in the bulletin, that my brother Van, at 51 years old, 
was shot and murdered at the corner of Riverside and South Congress two Fridays ago. He was doing a drug deal. He had meth and cocaine in the back of his van, and somebody came up and shot three times through the door, killed him. And that's what, <laughs> that's what my family's going to be doing with. I'll be doing that next week. I'm not saying it's about me or feel sorry for me. Here's what I'm saying. We both grew up in the same family. We both had the same mother. We both heard the same good news. And here I am. He's a better man than I was. He was a much more talented kid. Much more, just tremendous with people. Made more money than I will ever make. He was a very successful person at one time. Why am I here? And he is sitting in an autopsy room. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the first charge. That's the first command. First receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're wasting your time here. And then what is the second thing he does? Then he says, when you have the Holy Spirit, here's your next directions. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Very clear. If you've been in the army, the navy, if you've been in the military, very clear marching orders. You're going to be ministers. You're going to be witnesses. The word's the same word we use. We use it for missionaries. The, 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 the Latin word, messagio, you're going to be sent out. We call it missional now. You're the sent church, not the sitting church, not the sleeping church, not the come every once in a while church. You're the sent church. I'm going to send you out. He gives them a purpose and a place. He tells them exactly where to go. They are very clear orders, which is the key to any battle. He says, you've got to have a purpose and a place. In Thessalonians, Paul says it like this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Are you listening to that call? When you hear when you hear the charge, when you hear the bugle, are you ready to go? Do you know where to go? Do you know what your battle is? Do you know what your purpose is? Isaiah says this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, send me. Have you raised your hand? Or are you just like, I just kind of want to kind of come every once in a while. I'm not really, don't want to get too carried away with this Jesus thing. Well, that's missing the point. I love Young Life Ministry. It's how I became a Christian. And they have a mantra. They say, you were made for this. What were you made for? To accumulate, to acquire, to consume, to amass? No. That's a dead end. What were you made for? To be sent. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, this is what real faith is. We are blessed only to be a blessing, not for ourselves and our family. We are blessed only to be a blessing to all other people. If you truly have something God gave you, you instinctively, if you know Jesus, want to help others have it too. Praising it to others completes the true enjoyment of any gift God has given you. And listen to this. True enjoyment of God must lead naturally to mission, to helping others see the beauty that you see. This America needs to hear. American Christianity, my Christianity. God never draws us in and gives us anything except to send us back out to serve and to reach others. It's not about he who dies with the most toys wins. It's about being sent. What is your purpose? If it's just to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, what a waste. 
What is your purpose? Every one of you have a purpose, a spiritual gift, a calling that God has given you. Someone said that they imagined that when Jesus finally lifted up into heaven and all the angels are there and they gather around Jesus, he's got the scars, and they say, well, what was it like? What was it like to eat? What was it like to, to walk on the water? What was that horrible crucifixion like? What was it like? And as they were talking, then finally one of the disciples looks down and sees that little band of disciples and women, and he says, so what's the plan now? And Jesus says, they're the plan. And the angel says, is there a plan B? He just says, no, there's no plan B. This is the plan. This is their purpose. What's your purpose? It's fun when you see people working in their purpose. It's exciting. I remember a dear friend of mine, who was in our singles ministry. You know him, John Mark. John Mark's purpose for years and years is he would stand in front of First Pres and make sure that every single person that came to this church had someone greet him. He had a purpose. Have you ever watched the gossip girls do ministry or heard about Blair or Joy or seen them do young life ministry and love on high school kids? I've been watching Jake and Anna. You talk about knowing their purpose. They haven't even been here a year. They've been invited to 27 graduation parties. 27. Because they love these kids. They love your kids. And they know what they're doing. It's a great thing to watch. Watch Dick Doyle minister to young people. He knows his purpose. Watch Scott Gilmore. Watch Michael Ann. Watch Deb. Watch Denise Carter. Love on our young people. They know their purpose. We could go on and on. Judge Wordburn bringing Christ into the legal system. For Price up there in a political mess. For Jesus. What is your purpose? There's no small purpose. What is yours? Can you name it? Does it keep you up at night? Does your heart start racing when you get to go do it? Would you do it without getting paid? Do they have to lock you out of the door sometime? Because you want to go do it. What is your purpose? God will tell you. The body of Christ will tell you. If you don't know what your purpose is, you're missing out on the majority of the joy of following Christ. And then, where's your place? I love how specific Jesus is. Hey, just go make disciples. He starts like a concentric circle of concern, like a stone dropped in a pond. Your first impact is right where you live, Jerusalem. And then Judea, the country that you're in. And then foreign countries, pagan countries, Samaria, and the rest of the world. It's like an old Beatles song. Your ministry is here, there, and everywhere. It's like he would say to us, your ministry is here in Amarillo. You have to have a ministry here in this church. Don't just be a user, consumer, come and go, caterpillar, Christian, like Murray says, you crawl in, you crawl out. There's never a butterfly. Your ministry is here. What is your ministry in this church? What is your here in Amarillo? And then he says, in the state of Texas, and then those foreign pagan places like Oklahoma and Arkansas. And I, <laughs> sorry. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Or around the world, Jesus says, if you really get me, you have to have a here and a there and an everywhere. What is your here? Children's ministry. Square mile. What is your ministry in this church? What is your place in this church? If you don't know your purpose in the church you're going to, you're going to quit going. Because after a while, it gets old. Our seniors stay involved in our high school program, not because we're great people, not because we're good at it, because they minister the seniors do small groups with the sophomore guys. 
We didn't have enough guys. So our senior high school boys are discipling sophomore guys. They're not going to miss us a, a, a week. And our high school folks are ministering to middle school folks. They have a purpose. Do you know your purpose? And do you know your place in this? What is your here? Ask God what your here is. And then what is your there? We always need a there because here's too comfortable. I, time and time again, well-intended people say, why do we spend all this money sending college people to Ireland? Why do we spend all this money sending people over to Honduras? Why do we spend all this money going to Bolivia? Because Jesus said, here and there, not just here. He says, go over there. Not just for them, but for yourself. Because if I only stay here, my Jesus is too small. He's too white. He's too West Texan. He's too conservative. He's too much like me. You and I need to see a Jesus with a different skin color and a different language and a different culture and a different demographic or our Jesus will stay small. We've got to keep going over there. That's why our mission budget is what it is. That's why we have a pastor who gets that. It's not about us. What's your here, what's your there. If you haven't gotten a chance to go, go but while you still can. Ask Cal, ask Dick Doyle, ask Virginia Maynard, who went to Bolivia when she shouldn't have been leaving Amarillo. She went there. What's your here, what's your there, what's your purpose, you gotta have one. Or you're just missing out on the adventure of Christ, not just some religion that shows up when it's convenient. So receive the power of the Holy Spirit, Discover your purpose in place. And then what do they do next, it says? Do they just go, charge, let's go, all right, we're ready to go. They go, no. It says they left with the orders in hand from the king of the universe. And what they do? They went back to the upper room where they had the last supper. And Jesus had washed their feet, washed their feet. And that upper room they were hiding in when Jesus was resurrected. They go back and they start to pray. They get prayer cover. If you know anything about military battles, I love reading military history. Anytime before they, anytime with, in, in modern war history, before you attack a beach or a beachhead, you soften it up, you lay down artillery cover, you lay down ground cover. They try to blow the Normandy beach to bits and still <laughs> was tragic. Before you and I go into anything that we're called to do, it must be covered in prayer. I love what John Wesley says that I know of nothing that God does in the affairs of men except an answer to prayer. Someone said that when we get to heaven and when we're looking back at life and the history of the world and when we know everything because we'll be with Jesus who knows all, we will be amazed at how many things happened in our lives in direct answer to prayer and ashamed of how little we prayed. What's your prayer cover? That's why we're asking you to pray for those seniors. Please, we want you to lay down prayer cover for us. Anything we do without prayer, it would fail. So you got the Holy Spirit. You got your purpose in your place. You're praying. What's the last thing? In fact, James says, by the way, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Again, on my brother Murray, my mentor, he says, prayer is not the last thing we can do. It's the best thing we can do. If we're not a church of prayer, we're wasting our time. Men and women of prayer. All right, so what's the last thing? It's this. Once you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what you're supposed to do. Your purpose and your place, you're prepared. You've laid down ground cover. Look what they do. It says that all the disciples are together, except, of course, one. He's going to be replaced by Matthias and by Paul eventually. 
I love that there's the women are there. Mary Magdalene is there. Martha is there. Other women are there with their gifts, equally empowered by the Holy Spirit to take leadership roles like we do in our church. And then guess who else is there? His mother and his brothers and sisters. Because just not too far back in the book of Luke, when Jesus started his public ministry, when he went out to start preaching, he's in a house and there's packed with people and it's, he's preaching about being the Messiah. His mother and his brothers and sisters come to the door and they say, tell him to come out. We want to take him home. We think he's gone crazy. They didn't get it. His brothers and sisters aren't believers. Guess who's there? <laughs> The women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers and sisters. In fact, one of those guys, so now his family believes, and one of those guys is James, who writes the book of James. Who are the people that God has called you to go with? You know that Jesus never sends anybody out by themselves? There's no ministry that one guy's in charge of, and he's the, he's the celebrity pastor, the celebrity. It's not all about one man or one woman or one person's ministry with their name on it. That's not in the scriptures. It's always You all are the salt of the world. You all go. Two of you go. Ministry is always done best in community. There's no my ministry. It's our ministry. There's no that person. It's us. There's no I. There's a we. My wife and I love to um, watch The Voice. And we love to see, and last season, this great country guy, tremendous, uh, he won. His name's Sundance. His name's Sundance. But he got up and he sang a gospel song and people were just going crazy. But the, I, I began to listen to it kind of like it and I realized it's bad theology. He says, me and Jesus, we got a good thing going. Me and Jesus, we don't need anybody else. Me and Jesus, we don't need no pastor. We don't need no church. We don't need no prayer group. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. Heresy. It's never me and Jesus. It's you and me and all of us in Jesus or we will be dangerous people on our own without the body of Christ, as ugly and as hard, as frustrating as it is, it is never just me and Jesus. Hebrews 10, 25. I love what is said here. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see Victory Day, the day drawing near. What about you? You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not leave this building without being sure. You and God, settle that one, or else it's just a waste of time. Do you know your purpose in place, or you're just kind of waiting around, looking up in the sky, entertaining yourselves, taking, you know, amassing wealth, amassing achievements that don't mean nothing in heaven? Are you prepared to go to battle with prayer? Are you ready to step in and get marching, charge with the people that God's given you? There's a battle going on. We don't have time to criticize each other. Let's charge. What does it look like when someone does that? Ask Desmond Doss, a young man who, after the battle, after the disaster attack on Pearl Harbor, he joined the army to go fight for his country. He went through training, but he realized because of his religious conviction, he could not carry a weapon. Whatever you think about that theology, that was his. So he wanted to be a medic. They tried to wash him out. They tried to run him out. They tried to legally get rid of him, and they couldn't. He said, I will fight as a medic. He ended up in Okinawa. The Battle of Okinawa, May 2nd through the 5th, 1945. And they charged this famous cliff, 300-foot cliff called Hacksaw Ridge. And at first, his regiment was successful. They scaled 300 feet, and they swept the Japanese off, and they entrenched. 
But then that night, an overwhelmingly larger Japanese force pushed them back down off the ridge, and there were hundreds of dying men left up there. And Desmond Doss. Here's what he did. True story. on that ridge he kept saying Lord just give me one more he saved the lives of 75 men who have generations and generations that have survived because of him even Japanese soldiers Lord he had received the power of the Holy Spirit he knew what his purpose was clearly and he knew his place he prayed and then with those medics up below in him he saved 75 men and he kept saying let me get one more who's your one more What's your hacksaw ridge? Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Know your purpose and your place. Pray. Step into your calling. C.T. Studd says it like this. It's a phenomenal poem. This is one section that will be done. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy our sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. If you remember anything today, remember this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.